ночной шли вдвоем, а фонарики горели. И прибитие их на момент прийти, и сердца наши замляли. Hello and welcome to the SRB podcast, where in each episode we discuss Eurasian politics and history. I'm your host, Sean Guillory. In this episode, I talk to Roman Torgovitsky about his organization, Wounded Warrior Ukraine, and the efforts to treat trauma in post-Maidan Ukrainian society. Roman Torgovitsky is a Harvard-trained biomedical scientist, social entrepreneur, and founder of the Wounded Warrior Ukraine Project an NGO seeking to provide psychological rehabilitative assistance to Ukrainians affected by the visible and invisible wounds of war. Here's Roman Torgovitsky. You founded Wounded Warrior Ukraine in late 2014. Uh, talk a bit about why you founded the organization and its mission. Well, it's, it's so, I'm actually, I was born in Moscow, Russia. Uh, and then for the past uh, 24 years, I've been living in the States. And uh, it so happened that I traveled to Russia in 2014, in, in January, and uh, ended up on Maidan, uh, just to see for myself what was going on there, because there were reports of uh, fascists trying to take over. So you were in Russia, and then you went to, you went to Kiev. Yes, I traveled to St. Petersburg, and then I spent uh, one night there, and then uh, I flew to Kiev. And then I spent uh, amazing uh, three nights there just talking to people, and I immediately started interviewing uh, protesters and sharing that on social media, and people started uh, sending funds to support the medical care for the protesters. So that's how it all started, and then later on, uh, about two, three weeks later, I uh, found myself sitting at work behind a computer uh, watching the news about the massacre on February 19th and 20th, and then I realized that I could not just sit there uh, when people who I was, you know, had been talking in the tents uh, were killed. So I, I tried to connect to U.S. media outlets, and I picked up a couple of cameras and I jumped on a plane and flew uh, to Kyiv. And uh, as well, I, and I ended up coming a couple of hours after the massacre ended. And for me, it was a combination of uh, survivor guilt and uh, realization that it is my uh, second birthday. Because I, when I saw the massacre, I realized that most likely I, I would have been severely injured or killed uh, if I were to come just a couple of hours earlier. And that gave, uh, you know, a lot of determination and power to, uh, to help the victims, to help those who were injured. And that came uh, during the funeral of the, uh, those killed on uh, Maidan, because there was this realization that, that injured oftentimes, uh, you know, they are the ones who uh, sacrifice their lives, and then they're the ones uh, that get uh, forgotten, that the society tends to oftentimes forget about those who were injured. So that's how it all started, and ultimately through a series of uh, attempts, um, I was involved in uh, protests against uh, Russian musicians that signed a uh, letter supporting policy of uh, President Putin. Uh, in Boston, in New York City, at Metropolitan Opera, through a series of uh, uh, activities, 
I ended up realizing that there needs to be a structured approach to help Ukrainian society to establish uh, rehab capacities. And that's how this uh, project uh, was born out of desire to provide uh, psychological uh, rehabilitation. But what we are doing is more of habilitation. We are giving instruments and tools and knowledge to veterans on how to overcome their trauma and then provide peer-to-peer -peer support to their fellow veterans and other people who suffered shock trauma. Yeah, I want to get into that a bit because it's a really interesting approach that um, that I hadn't hadn't heard of previously. But first, I want to actually talk about the issue of trauma in Ukrainian society because immediately after the Maidan Revolution and, and before the Donbass, I was already seeing in the Ukrainian media um, a number of articles and people discussing the issue of trauma. Um, I mean, some psychologists were saying that during the protests and during the violent episodes of the protests, that they were uh, recommending that people stay off of social media because it was having a kind of traumatic effect. And now with the war, you know, one recent study that I read estimated that 5.5 million people have experienced some form of war trauma. And this, of course, includes civilians that are in the Donbass behind within the separatist parts. Um, how palatable is the impact of trauma uh, on post-Maidan Ukrainian society? That is sort of a little bit challenging question because it's, it sort of really depends on which segment of the society you are in. Because there is a segment of the society that tries to protect itself by ignoring social media, ignoring media, ignoring the war. And, uh, you know, they're trying, just trying to live the normal lives just like people everywhere want to live the normal lives, right? And still they get affected by the instability and by trauma, because trauma is not sort of an individual person phenomenon, right? It is, it is something that spreads through the society. So you, it's almost, you, you cannot avoid it because you end up encountering other people who, who have been traumatized. And then there are, of course, veterans. Who, uh, most of them, uh, you know, maybe they don't have uh, full-blown PTSD, but I think majority uh, suffer from one form or another of post-traumatic stress syndromes. So it could be problems with uh, sleep, uh, emotional reactivity, where people get angry or aggravated very easily. Uh, and then, of course, there are volunteers who have been supporting uh, you know, the state of Ukraine and supporting the, the defense forces uh, and sacrificing themselves, and they are exhausted at this point. And then, of course, uh, what uh, we oftentimes say that one, one person who, was, uh, who is traumatized, uh, you know, the, the, the trauma affects the entire uh, social community of that person, so the entire social network. So it's at least 10, 20 people. So in that sense, it's, uh, it, is a, it is a big problem on one hand. On the other hand, of course, it's not just like in U.S. Uh, or other country, countries that were involved, uh, that were sending its soldiers to war. It's not like you were walking on the streets and uh, there are trauma, clearly traumatized people uh, everywhere. It's, it's much more hidden because oftentimes trauma exhibits itself uh years and years later because the the trauma basically gets passed to the new generation to the children uh it gets passed uh, automatically through interaction uh, with the parents who were exposed to uh sustained shock uh, shock trauma 
Yeah, there's been some interesting studies on this, particularly looking at the children and even the grandchildren of Holocaust survivors, how they, there's some uh, scientific research that shows that the trauma is something that's passed down in some way. So it, it will be interesting to see uh, if this will be the case also for places like Ukraine and other kind of war-torn or economically destabilized societies. Uh, yes, I mean it's 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 very the, this research you're referring to. This is very sort of this is very realistic. This is what we see uh, in the field. So yeah, it 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 is very real, uh, and trauma does get uh, passed uh, uh, through the generations, and and this is one one of the biggest problems because uh, the trauma that is happening right now it is also finds a fertile ground because Ukrainian society has been exposed to uh, previous trauma in the 30s, right? Uh, so there is, Ukrainian society has been living through, you know, series and series of, of traumas. And, and now we, we are facing the situation where we need to work with, uh, with the intergenerational trauma. It's actually interesting that you mentioned that, that the, the experience of Ukrainian society throughout the 20th century has been a series of repeated historical traumas in the sense of first you have, you know, World War One, and then you have the, the revolution and civil war, the Russian revolution and the Russian civil war. Uh, and then you have, of course, collectivization and the purges and the famine and World War Two. And the collapse of the Soviet system. I mean, it's a repeated historical experience of trauma. And it, it I wonder, and this is just kind of thinking out loud, if the 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 reevocation of this discourse about, say, the famine in Ukraine today is a, a kind of way to either address that trauma or a reliving of that trauma in the context of the the post-Maidan society. Uh, yes, uh, in, in some ways, uh, absolutely, because oftentimes, uh, so I'll tell you later more about the, uh, the trainings that we run, but l once we stabilize uh, people and they acquire resources uh, to live civilian life, uh, we go on and work with the core trauma, and that core trauma, oftentimes, it's, it's the childhood trauma. Uh, that happens, for example, occasionally as a result of interaction with parents. It's something uh, shocking that may define and affect how um, how people affect to war-induced uh, shock trauma. And now, then we can ask, what is the source of that uh, shock trauma that uh, children may have sustained? And of course, this is related to the psychological status of the parents, right? And the psychological status of the parents is defined by the series of the shock traumas and developmental traumas that they have sustained throughout their life. And basically, very easily, you can trace many of these uh, issues back to to 1930s, to, to what the society has been living through. So let's let's focus, uh, turn more towards the issue of veterans, since your organization, Wounded um, Warrior Ukraine, deals with them specifically and then tries to, through. I think, it seems through them, also address the issues of trauma more broadly. So thousands of Ukrainian troops have been injured both physically and psychologically 
uh, in the war in Donbass. What kind of challenges do they face when you come? They come return home from the war zone. I mean, you've already mentioned a few of the kind of difficulty sleeping, the uh, reactive state, the 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 tendency for rapid anger and response. But what kind of other issues do they do they are they faced with? Well, that's that's a very loaded question because there are many segments. Uh... Uh, of population. So, so people who come back and they need physical rehabilitation, Ukrainian society has a very low capacity to provide skillful physical rehabilitation. So therefore, uh, they have to encounter issues of how to rehab themselves uh, oftentimes. Uh, people who come back physically completely intact, they still have uh, a number of issues. So that range from the fact that they have changed as a result of the war and therefore their friends and family oftentimes have a hard time understanding how to interact with them. Uh, and that may cause problems with, uh, within the family, with wives, uh, with children. Uh, they, they are female soldiers, so they have the same uh, exact uh, problems. Uh, there are moreover there there are social problems of finding uh, jobs because many or I should say some employees are not willing to to employ people who uh, took part in in the combat. On the contrary, some others are you know doing everything possible to employ uh, veterans. Uh, there are then issues uh, which are not which are. I guess, unique to Ukraine uh, in the sense that they are not common to Western countries. So we have some of the veterans that we are working with. So we have uh, one person who was uh, part of the combat, part of the volunteer battalion who was, and that volunteer battalion belonged to uh, Ministry of Internal Affairs. He was severely injured. He lost his leg. And for the past year and a half, he has been fighting in court with the Ukrainian uh, government uh, to force it to acknowledge that he's a veteran and he should receive benefits and the government should provide assistance in his uh, prosthetic devices, in acquiring the devices, in the rehab. And he recently, he won uh, the court, but the Ministry of, of Internal Affairs, in fact, uh, decided to fight back. So it's these kind of cases which are, well, I think in U.S. they, they are really hard to imagine that U.S. government would be uh, not acknowledging that somebody was uh, part of, of combat. And that makes our job uh, even harder because working with psychological trauma is a, is a very subtle process and one of the major issues here, one of the major goals is to help to empower people to understand and rethink, to reframe uh, oftentimes painful and shocking experience and to find meaning in that experience. And this is in, in a sense, this is what the project is ultimately is about. But when, you, when we have to deal with uh, government that oftentimes, or government bureaucracy that oftentimes fights back uh, with veterans who sacrificed their lives and lost uh, lost part of their body to protect the country and is not willing to provide, you know, basic financial support, then this is something that we have to do. 
And still we are not, you know, it's still, even if we support financially that veteran, it's very hard to, uh, you know, create that meaning because ultimately the veteran understands that the bureaucracy of the government is is not willing to acknowledge his role. I think this is a, I mean, from some of the historical research I've done on, on veterans and trauma, uh, this seems to be a universal problem for many societies that on the one hand, uh, men and women sacrifice themselves in war and the governments are more than willing to use that sacrifice for various political purposes. But when it comes to actually dealing with the 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 effects of the war and the injury and the loss and and the trauma the states reject those people and in some cases societies reject them these people are kind of tainted they can't they don't fit in anymore because of their experience exactly and that's why the the major goal of the project is to help people who uh, were exposed to shock trauma to gradually empower them with the tools and instruments and knowledge to overcome the power and then identify the peak experiences that they had during the trauma that actually makes them stronger as an individuals. And ultimately, uh, they, as a result of the training, they come out much stronger in the position to actually lead the society forward. Now, one of the, the difficulties of, of dealing with the psychological effects of war is to get people to recognize that PTSD is a legitimate um, uh, effect or result of, of combat or being experienced uh, war in, in whatever capacity. How is PTSD regarded in Ukraine? Well, I think the background in the Ukrainian society that is, that is unique to the post-Soviet um, countries is that psychiatry was used in Soviet Union to suppress dissent. And therefore, there is a you know, very clear attitude towards psychiatry and as a result also towards psychology. And while in U.S., in popular media, uh, you know, there are tons of movies that sh portray people uh, seeking uh, psychotherapists or psychoanalysts, in Ukrainian society, it's just not something that is widely accepted. And therefore, there is an attitude that you go to a psychologist only if you're like absolutely crazy. But moreover, there is a problem that is common both to Ukraine, to U.S. or any other Western country. And that problem is that uh, veterans and soldiers go through an intense bodily body and psychological psychological experience during the war. It's that edge between life and death. And that actually makes them stronger, uh, much stronger to overcome because they have to overcome themselves constantly. And the psychologists oftentimes don't have that experience. And therefore, the problem happens when the psychologist lacking that experience of working, of overcoming uh, even physically uh, your own limitations, tries to help or provide assistance to the, to the veteran. And the first reaction when the veteran uh, looks at the psychologist is a reaction of rejection. There is basically no trust. And, and, and that is why exactly the, the reason why our model is focused on empowering veterans to provide pure to peer support. The other, the other problem is that 
for example, in what we do, we don't, you know, we don't label people, oh, you have PTSD. Uh, many people have uh, post-traumatic syndromes, for example, issues with sleep. And this is what we focus on. And a lot of uh, uh, methods that we use focus on this kind of very palpable real problems. Uh, we, you know, aside from psychological issues, you know, somebody has a insomnia, you know, we can work with it. And oftentimes we can work with it without medications and uh, with body-oriented uh, strategies. Of course, there is a place for, for medications, but that really depends on, on the individual. And oftentimes, uh, right after the shock trauma, within the first couple of years, oftentimes if the uh, trauma is not too severe, uh, there are very useful and powerful strategies uh, that work well without any kind of ma medication. And, and uh, veterans really accept these body-oriented strategies very well because body is, is what they know very well. Yeah, you actually pointed to something that I hadn't considered before, and that is the, one of the biggest obstacles is the problem of stigmatism. The fact that if you are diagnosed as suffering from PTSD, that comes along, tends to come along with some sort of stigmatism, or the fact that you have a relationship with the psychologist, that that psychologist through the act of diagnosis, diagnosis is also stigmatizing you. But wounded, you, your project, uh, Wounded Warrior Ukraine, takes a really interesting approach, and you've already alluded to it uh, a bit. Um, talk about the idea behind combat shock trainers and the fact that veterans are the ones that are that are treating veterans. Uh, yes. Uh, so, so be before I go into that, I wanted to mention what, one uh, something that uh, I discussed with American veterans. So, uh, when I talked to American veterans, uh, to a number of them, I asked them, I gave them a choice. Suppose that you come back from combat and we offer you 10 free sessions with a psychologist, would you like to go for it? And basically everybody said, no, thank you. Then I said, suppose we offer you 10 free sessions uh, with a manual therapist or a massage therapist. Basically 99% say, yes, of course, that's a no-brainer. And here I think is a very important lesson is that uh, Soldiers and veterans are very much aware that they have body issues, body problems, because they sleep on, you know, they sleep on, on the ground or they carry a lot of uh, weight on their shoulders and they emotionally stressed. And because of that stress and shock, it all reflects in the body that basically tenses up. So they are aware of the fact that their body is out of balance and they do want help in that respect. But once we start providing assistance to them to work with their body and release some of the, the muscle tension, first of all, they immediately feel the result and that develops trust. They already know, oh, these guys can actually do something useful. And it has been shown in research in manual therapy and massage therapy that once you uh, provide uh, this type of therapy to people, many people start opening up psychologically and then they start wanting to share their experience, their emotional experience. And that's, uh, that's where the uh, psychological part comes in. Now, in terms of our training, uh, essentially we are building a path for a veteran, uh, the path that takes them out of the war 
into the peaceful civilian life. It starts from um, uh, level one trainings that we give all over Ukraine, and it exposes veterans and other victims of shock trauma. For example, we work with civilians who were imprisoned on the occupied territories uh, or with parents who lost their children uh, in the conflict. And we give them the basic idea of what this training is about and what awaits them if they were to go into the following trainings. And then uh, if they proceed to level uh, two, we give them uh, a lot of strategies on how to heal and stabilize their nervous system. And we use, again, a lot of, uh, of body-based uh, strategies. Now, once their nervous system has stabilized, uh, once their sleep has stabilized, and they feel enough strength, they go on to the next two stages where we work directly with the uh, core trauma. Mm -hmm. After that, after finishing this uh, series of trainings, they have a choice. So they can either say, okay, I have changed, I'm ready for peaceful civilian life, let me see what I wanna do next. Mm -hmm. Or they can say, well, I actually want to share this instruments and my knowledge with other people. And for example, uh, somebody who lost a leg would be working and providing peer-to-peer -peer support with somebody uh, who had the same experience. Or alternatively, they uh, ultimately can take uh, more commitment and they want to become co-trainers. And that means that they uh, co-lead their trainings. Because all of our trainings are led by um, a team of a psychotherapist and several veterans who have already completed our trainings. And that, when they become co-trainers, that all also offers them uh, employment with our organization. And this is the part where they acquire sense of meaning out of very painful experience they had during the war. So this is part of the healing that they can actually share their experience of overcoming uh, shock trauma with other people and help them find their way. And then ultimately the next step is at some point that healing process comes to its final sta stages and, and people want uh, to go completely into the civilian life. And this is more about post-traumatic growth where people have been empowered and they feel that they don't really want to do the same kind of job that they had done before war, because that job now may seem to them quite meaningless. And therefore, they're empowered and open for the new opportunities. And this is where we're working now to provide them with the uh, framework for starting their own businesses or giving trainings to corporations on team building or on other things that they have acquired in the army or volunteer battalions uh, and that they can use uh, to benefit themselves and to benefit the society. So do you have any stories of people that you've worked with uh, that you'd like to share? Uh, yes, well, we, we had um, one case of a gentleman, a civilian gentleman uh, who barely survived uh, the prison in the occupied territories. He, he escaped by just by luck because two of the uh, um, 
two of the commanders, uh, field commanders, uh, started fighting each other, and basically the prison got opened, and he he ran away. And he came to us in a, in a very much, uh, you know, his psychotherapist was trying uh, a way to, to uh, send him to U.S. for rehabilitation. And ultimately, that didn't work. So he ultimately came to our trainings. And he was one of the um, very interesting examples where somebody is so much committed to figuring out a way of dealing with trauma uh, that within a couple of hours of uh, being present in our training, he started changing. He started opening up. His eyes were, you know, looking into the ground before the training, and he gradually started smiling, making jokes, and it's all basically after after body based after self manual therapy. Uh, and now he's uh, he's one of the most committed people who who is doing all of the exercises uh, on a daily basis, and he shares the knowledge uh, with, uh, with everybody else. Yeah, it, it seems that the, the training that you're providing is incredibly empowering in this sense. Yes, yeah, and we have many examples where, where people uh, discover something, how they can work with their pain, and then start sharing with their wives um, and, and, even, uh, and even children. Uh, so we have another case where, where actually uh, somebody's, uh, uh, somebody's daughter had suffered from uh, tremendous spasm in the neck. And uh, they brought her to all kinds of neurologists and psychologists and uh, medical doctors, and they couldn't figure out what's going on. And so basically the same thing happened. She, she stabilized very quickly after, uh, after the training. And, uh, you know, many stories uh, of veterans who were very closed down, not willing to talk. And throughout the training, they, they opened up and now they are co-trainers uh, in the project uh, we have. Uh, so the, the uh, gentleman that I mentioned, a young guy who lost his leg, he's also a co-trainer in our project, uh, the, the fellow that uh, is still fighting the inferior ministry uh, uh, about uh, his injury in the, in the war. So yeah, I mean, I mean every story is, is very unique and there, there, there are tens and tens of stories that, uh, of, of the change. And to be honest, I'm even surprised that uh, of how many ch people change and how fairly quickly the change comes if the person is committed. Does your organization have any relationship to the Ukrainian government? Um, and do you work with other organizations and civil society groups? Not to the Ukrainian government. Currently, we, we try to sort of, uh, we, we work a little bit uh, on the front of uh, reforms to to, to push reforms uh, related to veterans, because this is issue that is absolutely directly related uh, to the, uh, the psychological health of, of the veterans. But we try to stay away uh, from the Ukrainian government because uh, Ukrainian government is, is changing a lot and it has a lot on its shoulders. 
And, uh, you know, right now there is not much need for the integration with the Ukrainian government because we, we, can, we can function very successfully. But we do work a lot with uh, many uh, civil society organizations and NGOs, uh, especially those who work on uh, psychology. So the um, crisis, uh, psychological crisis uh, group of Ukraine they help us a lot to uh, to run local trainings, uh, and so this is the model that basically we're working with. We we work with a lot of local uh, NGOs and volunteer organizations because they help us to to uh, run the trainings locally. In how many cities are you is your organization working in now? So we have our trainers uh, travel from city to city. And so far, we probably covered, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 different uh, cities in Ukraine. Uh, and, and finally, how can people support uh, Wounded Warrior Ukraine in the effort to treat PTSD in Ukraine more generally? So I think in two major ways. Of course, uh, donation is, is one way. So uh, our organization has been running as an activist organization in the sense that uh, all the people on the U.S. side, and there are basically uh, two and a half people right now on the U.S. side, and we are all volunteers, and everybody on the Ukrainian side is, uh, is an employee or contractor. So this is one of the major points to, to make sure that people in Ukraine actually get paid for the work uh, uh, that they do. So one way is uh, financial support, but another way we do need a lot of help uh, in terms of skillful, skillful help. Uh, so uh, helping us applying for grants. We recently uh, got a grant uh, from the National Endowment for Democracy. Uh, but we need, within uh, two years, we really need to move forward to uh, the organization towards being self-sustainable. So we have a lot of going on in terms of social business that would benefit the organization and the training. So we have, uh, we have a lot of uh, need for advisors, for people who can contribute time working on uh, various projects. So we, we will take all the help that... Uh, that people offer. <laughs> well, I'll make sure I put uh, um, something on the website so people can contact you. Thank you very much. And the website, of course, is Wounded War Ukraine, and that's where the contributions can be made. That was Roman Torgovitsky, founder of the Wounded Warrior Ukraine Project. I'm your host, Sean Guillory, and this is the SRB Podcast. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, where if you have a moment, you can write a review. You can also follow me on Twitter, at Sean's Russia Blog. Until next time, bye. Gathered in their masses Just like witches at black masses Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning Machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Oh Lord